Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by an extremely inspiring guest, Samantha Gash. Sam is an endurance athlete, an inspirational speaker, an author, social impact entrepreneur, world vision, and royal flying doctor service ambassador. She's a mum, and our chat today was very very intriguing uh, i absolutely loved it there's you know we could have spoken for a lot longer and um her resume is huge i'm going to list off a few of her running achievements now because i could just go on for ages but this will set the tone for our conversation today and and uh give you i guess an appreciation of of what she's been able to do so far and as i said this is just the running side of things so she's she was the first female and youngest person to complete racing the planet's four deserts grand slam in one calendar year in 2010 which i believe was chile china sahara and antarctica um she did a 379 kilometer solo non-stop run across the simpson desert in australia in 2012 a 3,253-kilometer, 77-day run from west to east of India in 2016, which we talk about in today's show. A 250-kilometer multi-stage race in Nepal. She was the second female and ninth overall in 2011. She did Beast of Burden 50 miles in New York. Um, she did three marathons in three days here in Cairns in Australia. I believe uh, that was in Cairns, Surf Coast Marathon, and she's done the Cliff Bar Ten Peaks Lake District Race in 2013. I mean, that's just a few of the the achievements that we have here for me to list off. But I mean, the list goes on and on and on. She, um, as I said, very inspiring and motivational person. And our chat today, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I know you will too. So if you take some value from today's episode, which I'm sure you will. Please do take a screenshot of today's show and post it up on your Instagram story for me. Tag myself, tag Sam. We'd love to hear your feedback from today's show and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Samantha, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. I mean, leading up to the episode today, I obviously knew a fair bit about you already through, I guess, mutual friends, particularly um, Nick and Sarah. Um, so I'd heard plenty about you and I kind of knew roughly um, a lot of the things that you'd done, but going through, I guess, your bio over the last few days to really study up on the episode, I mean, holy shit. I mean, I nearly need a full episode just to to get the intro fit into this week's episode, but um, you've done some pretty incredible things and I want to get stuck into it straight away. So the first question that I have for you is what what or who inspires you today to to keep continue to challenge yourself? I love it how you start with a banger. Oh, <laughs> banger yes. um, what inspires me? I think it's it's changed, but I guess you asked now. Um, now what inspires me a lot is um, the example that I want to set for my son, mm-hmm. um, that I also want to set an example for myself that I can evolve and I can continue to test the boundaries even when I've already tested them to what many people would say are to an extreme level. Uh, and the reality is I think that you can change in how you want to push yourself. So at the very beginning of my kind of running career, it was so much about like physical and mental test. And the reason I say that is because I lived a life before where I didn't test that stuff at all. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tested that my academic pursuits, I, te- you know, I was really a bit of a geek growing up and I really loved books and all that kind of stuff and even performing yeah. arts. But in my mid-20s, I just realized I was such a physically dormant human 
And so I just wanted to see what it was like to play in that space. And then I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it's not even that I'm obsessed with running. Um, you know, the continual drive for me is how do you connect the, the many things that you love and kind of um, bring them together to try and make lasting, hopefully tangible impact um, elsewhere beyond yourself. So I do a lot of work now with using adventure and running as a vehicle for social change. Yep. Uh, a lot of the times in the, um, the access to education space, female empowerment, Indigenous health, uh, and I think it's a pretty cool thing to be able to use the things that you love, bring together really creative, small teams to be able to think beyond the eye and more towards the we. 100%. And this is something that I've been curious about, actually, is you look at a lot of, um, I guess, more particularly like endurance-based athletes mm-hmm. that are extremely successful in their area, Um and, and I always wonder like whether or not the enjoyment is still there or whether it is just the fact that it is now like your thing or it is now your, as you said, your vehicle to, to achieve whatever goal you want. So do you genuinely go out for a run now and just fucking love it? Or is it now kind of just like a habit and something that you do because you kind of feel like you, not, not that you have to, but you feel like that's your way of, of achieving that longer term goal? It's actually a really good question. Uh, and I've asked myself that a bit too. And I think I said at the beginning, like I'm not obsessed with the run. Yep. Uh, so of course, like, there's a part of it that this is, this is a part of my habit. Like I know that I feel good um, when I go outside and move, but I yep. have learned over the years that I don't just need to run. I like to be on a mountain bike. I like to kayak. I love mm-hmm. to walk. Um, when I had my my son a couple of years ago, that was like the real aha. You're actually not obsessed with running because I didn't really miss it. Like I was yep. enjoying the other thing in my life. Um, but no, I, the way that I'm wired is because I like so many different things. If I didn't really want to be there uh, and do it, I just probably wouldn't do it. I'd do something else that I really enjoy. Uh, and I think that's the benefit of having multiple things that you care about in your life and not letting yourself being defined by one thing, one thing, particularly yeah. in the sporting lens. And, and you see it all the time, like people get injured and you can see their whole mental health and well-being kind of be broken apart because they can't do this one thing that they say that they are. And I remember saying to my friend once, you're not just a runner. Like, mm. you, you know, even if that was taken away from you, like surely you can get your fulfillment and joy and satisfaction and sense of self from something else. So I discovered that actually when I ran across South Africa in 2014 and yep. I just had this awakening moment where I was like, I cannot just be the runner. And I never used to be the runner. And all of a sudden everyone was like, she's the runner. She's the yeah. runner. She's Forrest Gump. And I'm like, Okay, I don't want that. <laughs> and that's when I got into adventure racing because yep. I wanted to have many other ways that I could connect with nature and the outdoors. Um, yeah. And I also believe that I think that's a very hard motivation, like the obsession to just be outdoors because you feel it's a habit. When you do the really, really long endurance pursuits, like it's, that's not enough. It's not going not to be enough to carry you through the hardship that you do experience in that kind of venture. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. I couldn't agree more in terms of, um, I almost uh, felt this way myself. Like I moved to Melbourne initially for basketball and up until that point, like I'd played footy as well and loved footy. But for me, it was like basketball was just my, my identity. So when initially that got taken away, like I had a, a surgery and I couldn't do it anymore. I was in the same boat. I was literally like, what the fuck? Like all, like all of my friends group, anyone who has anything to do with me probably only has anything to do with me because of basketball. If I don't do it, then then like kind of who, who am I type of thing? And I think a lot of people have that 
experience or realization. And for a lot of people, it's kind of it, not too late. It's never too late, but it can be to the point where they have just lived for so long thinking that their identity is just because they are a footballer or just because they are a, a runner or whatever it is, whatever field you're in. One thing that I, um, that I'm big on is morning routines and a lot of, I guess, high achievers are, are big on morning routines. So do you have a, a specific way that you start your day? So funny. I was thinking about this on my run today. I was actually thinking, Oh, I'm going to start to write down some of my morning routines. Cause I feel like everyone is wanting to know about routines at the moment when yeah. they feel like their days don't have as much structure and All you feel like you need it even more because we're in lockdown. Um, uh, routines have become harder since having a kid. I won't lie. Um, I used to kind of uh, get up, put the um, kettle on, have a cup of tea, not look at my phone, um, and then just sit, sit outside on the veranda. Uh, but now sometimes I can be woken up by my toddler <laughs> running amok. Um, but the way we kind of crafted it is Mark and I won't do, my husband and I won't do any work first thing in the morning. We kind of quarantine that time off for family time. So we won't yeah. book any meetings, like we won't, yeah, from pretty much up to 9am, it's like what we do as a family. So we'll kind of get Harry ready. We always bring him into the bed first thing in the morning. So it's like that family connection time. You know, Mark isn't a morning person, so he has to kind of do his own thing and I get Harry ready. And then we'll get a cup of coffee uh, from our local cafe and we'll go for a walk together. And we pretty nice. much do that even if it's raining. Um, and then we kind of split up the shifts of, you know, someone will look after Harry whilst the other person works. Um, and that kind of is always the case, whether I'm, we're in lockdown or not. Um, the only change for that is if we're traveling on the road, which I now reflect back on how much traveling I used to do before we were grounded. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. isn't it? Uh, I uh, mentioned this in, I think it was maybe last week's or maybe earlier this week's podcast, um, about how this whole thing has been like a big audit. It just shows yeah. you like exactly like the areas of your life that you probably weren't aware of or, or it just made you a lot more conscious of certain aspects of your life. Some things are good. Some things you, I, I can imagine a lot of people will come out of this and make some pretty significant changes to their lifestyle compared to what it was before. I, I think um, you're right. And I, like one thing we've learned through this time is how important connection is. Like when mm. you kind of get connection or physical connection taken away from all your other friends and even your family members for those that you get to have it with like don't dismiss it because they're around you all the time um so that's why that quarantining that morning time for the family means that we don't just get caught up in like the work mindset we remember that even though we're working and playing from home now that the play and the family time is still, it's actually more important. Like that's what carry yeah. at the end of the day, you don't say, you know, at the end of your deathbed, you don't kind of go, I wish I worked more. Mm. It's all about your family. So how do we create that importance in our day-to-day -day lives when it can be easy to put it on the back burner? Yeah. And we touched on this quickly before um, I hit record today in, in regards to how, how it can be quite difficult now that we are spending so much time at home in the same environment to really break it up. And to, especially for those that do have their own business or that are just very work minded, I guess it's hard to, to feel like you shouldn't be just working constantly. Cause I feel like if I'm not working, I'm like, fuck, I could have been working or maybe I've just wasted yeah. the last two hours cause I've done nothing. But the quality I've found on the days where I, cause I still don't nail it very often to be honest, but on the days where I do look at my day and my to-do list and go, all right, I'm going to do these few things extremely well and put in a lot of quality work with this. And then once that's done, it's done. Then the rest of the day is just normal life shit. 
And I find I get so much more done and the quality of it is just so much better when I do it that way. And it's not even just about productivity. I think it's because people um, are feeling like they're, they're lacking purpose. Mm-hmm. And because we used to find fulfillment and purpose in many ways other than just the home front, like we might you know, go on a holiday or uh, we'd go and see friends or we'd go out to a cafe and all those things kind of filled our, you know, cup. Yep. And so now like a lot of people are going, well, I, I get affirmation if I do my job well, or that's how I earn my income or, yep. uh, you know, that's great stability. So people are feeling like they need to do more of it to feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's just like a, to re reevaluating kind of doing a bit of a stock take every now and again and going no, like being on the hamster wheel has never been the only thing that gives us fulfillment and joy. Let's just kind of reevaluate how we kind of create our day. Yeah. And one, one part of my morning routine, which has become a staple in my day now is meditation. So ever since mm-hmm. about roughly 2017, I started. And before that, I'd literally be the last person. Even if you met me now, you probably would never expect it because I'm just usually go, go, go and find it hard to sit down for two minutes, let alone sit down and meditate. But it's just become something that I like absolutely love now and I've found such a, a difference in my life since I started. So is that something that that you take the time out of your day to do? And the other part of that question is because a, a lot of the athletes that I talk to, particularly endurance athletes, say that the experience when they are running or riding or swimming, whatever it is, is their meditation is that therapeutic type of um, time where they can just switch off and, and kind of find that present moment. So I, I would say that I, I'm not very great at meditation, but I work really hard on it. Uh, and it's a constant <laughs> process of trying to um, kind of calm the mind down a little bit to not be thinking about what's coming up next and dwelling on what's past and just yep. being in the moment. Um, and I'm an ambassador of Lululemon. So like I've had lots of training and technique <laughs> skills and I, you know, I listen to great people speak about it all the time. Yep. And one thing is, I think you've got to know how your day is structured. Like if you struggle with mindfulness and meditation, don't, say to yourself, well, I think I have to do it in the morning because that's when everyone says that they do it. My morning is not always my own because I've got a toddler, but the end of my day is a time that can be my own because he's asleep. So I do mine at nighttime. Like I have a little routine, um, a mindfulness routine that involves journaling Great. about the, uh, the day, um, reading, and then kind of sitting with it, no technology. So I, I do it at the end of the day because uh, I can guarantee consistency with yeah, it. Good. And then in terms of your question about do I do it when I run, um, some runs. I think there's multiple ways in which you can choose to um, have meditation. I, I wouldn't say that I, have, I, I do mindfulness, mindful runs um, when I'm doing an <laughs> interval session or yeah, a hip yeah. session. or like, um, It's more on those kind of like long, um, longer runs where the pace is slower. The intention actually is to be in the moment. Uh, and it's so funny how... So often when we think about running, we think that the intention and the purpose of that run is to make, you know, physical gains, but actually sometimes it's the mental gains that are far more powerful as well. And there can be a degree of um, restoration in those runs, but the heart rate needs to be down. um, The calmness needs to be the focus. uh, And so, yeah, there are definitely runs when I do that. And I, I, I felt that one, it allows me to enjoy my environment a lot more. And it also detaches me from like, a weird perception that achievement is always like getting a crown on Strava or reaching a time goal or getting a certain amount of like elevation gain in a run. It's actually about how I feel. Uh, And those are the runs where I become really creative. That's awesome. That's really cool. 
you mentioned earlier how you came up with um, how you questioned something about your own kind of life, I guess, when you were doing one of the runs. I think you said it was in South Africa. Um, out of all the runs you've done, I mean, there's just fucking so many of them to, to list again. I, I've mentioned them in the intro, but mm. out of all the runs, which one have you found the most difficult and why? Oh, they all, every project that I've done has been, they've never been easy because I feel like I'm always redefining like what I know to what I, from what I don't know to what I then know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and they've always, they've always built from each other. So they kind of, if you look at them on the statistics and like the places and the landscapes and the kind of social objectives, they have grown. Um, but, you know, the first time when I did the four deserts, like that was incredibly hard because I didn't even know what really long distance running was or carrying like a back with all my supplies yeah. all the way to when I ran from the West to the East of India, like on the face of it. And really probably in the reality, that was the hardest. Okay. Uh, and there's many reasons why it was the hardest. Uh, and if to kind of give context to it, uh, it's, I took two years prepping that project uh, but I had first conceived the idea of running across India in 2011. So it was 2011, started prepping it in 2014 and started it in August, 2016. That's crazy. So yeah, it's like, and I, people kind of, th- I think sometimes people just think that you you rock up to a start line yeah. and you give it a crack and they get, I, I know that they, they presume that there's some work that goes behind the scenes, but they don't realize how much work goes behind yeah. the scenes. Um, and it's that kind of work that kind of, I think, uh, determines if it's going to be a successful project and even all the hard work that we did pretty much every single day was a shit show. Uh, and it's because we were running in India and we were Mm. coordinating so many variables. variables. We had mass teams of like our kind of more Australia focused team. We had our Indian logistics team who we were building relationships and understanding cultural differences and making sure that we're all unified on a goal and a mission. And then the challenges for a lot of my Oz team were the fact that India is freaking intense and it's so different than they had experienced. And we were living in a camper van where personal privacy did not exist. Like I looked at a video just last night which was like four years since you've seen this video. And it was me going around to all the bunk beds in the, in the camper van. And like, literally it was just like, I, I had to just move the camera like this to this, yeah. to this, to this. And there's like 10 people in a really small space sleeping and brushing their teeth and yeah. going to the toilet, eating, <laughs> you know, um, whatever. So it's, it was, um, it was really hard and obviously we're trying to raise awareness and funds to the various barriers to quality education that children in India will face. And I love how I like nearly omit, oh, and I was running three and a half thousand kilometers whilst trying to do that at the same time. Yeah, that's which, the last thing. <laughs> it's like the last thing I say because it was almost, it seemed significant to everyone and yes, it was significant, but it was the least significant part in terms of the mission of the project. Yeah. It was like the thing that thread the story together. Like if I didn't run, I wouldn't have been able to meet all those people. Mm, I that was the vehicle to, to achieve the ultimate, the ultimate goal. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have also had the time to make a lot of the connections to the things that I was seeing to be able to storytell those things. Like if you don't know what it feels like to be in that environment and live it through running it and then being in moment to moment, you almost can't, conceptualize and a really small insight what it's like for the people who live there. Mm. And so because I experienced the logistical challenge of getting food 
access or dealing with the monsoon season you know like we i experienced it so therefore i could imagine what it might be like for people who are living in that 24 7 mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's full on. What, a, what an incredible experience. I would have been unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the time, and that's a big insight that I always have. Sometimes when you do these feats of endurance, you know, uh, and I see people in adventure races and in 100-kilometre races, 100-mile races, and they are just whinging and going, oh, you can see the agony and the stress all over their face. Mm. And I made this conscious decision a couple of years ago that whilst I'm going to be in discomfort, I'm going to always remember that I chose to be there. And so yeah. I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, four years down the track after finishing that run goes, yes, that trip was amazing. But during it, I was whinging and complaining and hating it because it was so hard. Yeah. And so I, I've definitely, been, you know, I, I feel that, but then I can very quickly take myself out of that Things going, look around me. Like, you know, I, I had my 28th or maybe 29th birthday when I was like running across India and I had some of my best mates from all around the world who came and joined me there. And, mm. you know, some of the stuff that we are like, in the moment, I really yep. appreciated being there. And I, I feel like that has allowed me to be, to be in this career for so long. That's unreal. And a question actually I should have asked earlier on is you, you've also mentioned in here how your career started very differently. Like you're a lawyer. Uh, um, am I correct? Yeah. A lawyer? Yeah. yeah no, a lawyer. Um, and then obviously now that's, that's completely different compared to how you started. So where, was there a moment or, or I guess any point in time where you imagined that your life would be like it is now when no. you were, when you were living that kind of like life at the start? Um, not as a kid, <laughs> I never imagined like sports would be in my life as a kid. Hmm. Um, like I was the shittest person at sports and I still am in team sports. I'm still really bad because I'm super uncoordinated. I'm not naturally <laughs> gifted. Um, I've learned to kind of try more things, but I still, uh, even just last year when I was doing the world's toughest race, I had to do swift water qualifications and like water rescue mm-hmm. and the, the anxiety that, that I had of having to rescue someone coming down like a rapid using my physical strength and coordination to throw the rope bag so he could collect it gave me such stress that I ended up throwing the rope bag in the opposite direction. <laughs> he ended up getting it. Then I didn't hold myself in the water, in the rocks well enough that I ended up having to get rescued by him. So like, <laughs> when we talk That's about weird. like coordination and like athleticism, like it's not my jam. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so I would never have imagined this, even as a lawyer in the early days, I wouldn't have seen myself. I just this career didn't exist. Like I, yeah. what I kind of appreciate with myself the most. And if I was to go good on you, Sam, like you took your life in your own hands is like, I crafted this career and half the time I can't even tell people what I really do because <laughs> it's just like, it's piecing the puzzle of the things that you love and the people that you want to work with and yep. just making it work. And that is a Figuring shift in my mindset. Go. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out all the time. And because of that, I have space to do the things that I like. Um, and I have trust that if I follow this path, that I'll keep doing meaningful work. 
And um, I think that's a, it's a big departure from the person that I used to be because I used to need to know every single step along the way. Yeah. Uh, and you do as a lawyer and, and your path and your progression is really, really clear. Laid and out, now yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what I'm, I'll be doing at the end of the year. And I certainly couldn't be telling you what I'm doing in two years down the track. And I kind of love that because it means the possibilities are really open. That's fantastic. And obviously you have a lot of diversity in, in regards to, as you've just mentioned, in regards to what you do on a day-to-day basis and week-to-week, month-to-month. So having experienced both sides of it, the, the athletic and I guess sport health and fitness side of things and also the business side of things as well, what are some of the similarities you see between the two? I often talk about how I see so many similarities between the habits and the disciplines of of you know owning your own health and fitness and then also being able to run a business successfully and and do well in that side of things so there's some kind of main similarities where you you draw between the two yes um i think the endurance like an enduring mindset um that things don't have to always look perfect that you can come back from setbacks Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact you can learn from those setbacks and they can become like it can be a lesson that you need down the track, even though you might not know at the time uh, that you can. Um, I've always believed in like uh, people who are experts in their field. Like as a lawyer, you're a professional expert in your space. And so yep. like when it comes yep. to accounting, you always, you know, defer to an accountant or when it comes to, you know, different types of lawyers, you'll always defer to them. And Mm -hmm. now running my own business, I believe in bringing people who have really niche skill sets to like to come into my team or I contract out to them or they contract to me. So I don't expect that I can do everything, which is why I'm, you know, I've I've used Nick's expertise in every single project that I've ever had because I never expect that I'm going to be the creative. Yeah. So really delegating to delegating certain things to, to people that are, are experts in their field or that are masters of their craft to allow yourself to put all your focus and energy into what you're good at. Yeah. And I, I think when you're an entrepreneur and you start your own business, you feel like you've got to do everything because that's the most financially um, wise decision. And I get that. Like it's not a bad thing to know the different components of your business. Um, but I sometimes think it's worth spending a bit of money, um, to regain the time to focus on the things that you're good at. I've always believed like I've always had a coach because I think the coach can prepare me physically better than I can prepare myself physically. You know, I I work with different masseuses and recovery experts and nutritionists and now you bring it all together. And the more you are in that space and you learn from these people, um, the better that you're going to be about equipping yourself in it. But I still, like when I'm prepping for a project, I'll go straight away to my coach and I go, this is what the project, this is the elevation, this is the environment. How do we think we're going to best prepare me to do this? That's awesome. You mentioned environments just then. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is how does your body, like do you find that your body responds better in a hot temperature or a cold temperature when you're running? Sorry. Yeah, no, no. Um, I deal with it better in hot temperature. Yeah. Um, like right now, I, I'm downstairs in my basement, which is our studio, but I'm not putting the heater on because um, it can make some sounds. And I'm like cold and I find that debilitating. So I'm not a big person. Like I have, um, you know, like I'm under five foot. I'm kind of a bit more lean. And so I find um, the heat suffocating, but the cold debilitating. And mm. I, I can use my mind to calm down from suffocation, but 
when I'm debilitated and my bones start to like feel that coldness and the chill in the air, um, I expend a lot of energy trying to regroup myself and then it's almost a losing battle. So, you know, I do a lot of adventure racing now and uh, like I get hypothermic far quicker than I should. And it's a a part of the process that if I'm going to do a cold race, I need to focus on putting on weight. Okay, Um, Okay, cool. You burn so much when you're kind of doing those things. So I think it's really important if you want to be an endurance athlete and you want to race in extreme and volatile climates that you know how your body responds in those different climates and you prepare yourself in the training phase to be able to give yourself the best chance in that. In that, yeah. Um, when you've have, have you experienced many injuries? Like have have you experienced many setbacks where you've had to lay off the running for an extended period of time? I've experienced more injuries in the really, really long expeditions than in training itself. Um, I once, um, fell down the stairs of my staircase when I was trying to get to a really early altitude training session. Uh, and so I did a partial tear to my anterior tib fib, which was Probably, yeah, so bad. And like, I still have a little bit of ankle tightness in the left side. And I get notice a bit of a calcification, like on that top section when I'm doing a lot of running. So I have to really work on like ankle mobility. Mobility. Um, But that's the main thing that I've had with training. I've I've had a broken rib before, Um, but nothing's... Yeah, knocking on like a lot of wood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even, and the reason why, like I'm sure I have had more injuries but when I get injured, I, as opposed to freaking out, like I always just say to myself, okay, now I've got this extra time. There's so many things in my life that I normally have to neglect because I'm training. Yep. What can I dedicate myself into now? Yeah. So I, I, I presume that I've had more injuries. Like I have to, I've been running for over a decade pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more when I've been in expeditions, I can never train to the degree that my expeditions have take my body and my mind to. And so when I ran across India, like the week two to week four, like it was really bad. Like I was like a patchwork doll with the amount of rock tape that I had, like piecing me all together. (laughs) Like if you took that, took all that tape off, I would have just fallen apart and crumbled on the floor. Um, But I I had a, what did I have? Like I had a, a a very bad sprain to my ACL. Um, And I still had like two and a half thousand Ks to go. Um, I had all these things where because I was running on a camper and like the slope on the side of the road, because I was trying to avoid all the cars, like obviously hitting me in India and they don't like stick in lanes. And so I spent a lot of the run in India running on highways. Uh, And sometimes I had a lot of cars. Other times they were more rural towns and they were a bit quieter, but I tried to keep as far across. And it was just like the heat and the intensity and the slope and just one side of my body just kept getting like, smashed mm. and then you start to have imbalances you try and like accommodate yep. it in other parts of your body and i didn't train for that like who would have thought yeah. oh train yeah. running on a slope mm-hmm. they just didn't kind of conceive that i was preparing myself for the heat so i i ran on a treadmill in a hot yoga studio with like the heat cranked up um i did a lot of that kind of stuff but i never thought about the slope yeah um you know, I didn't think about jumping on constant potholes and, you know, so yeah, I, my body has broken in expeditions. If I had ever felt one tenth of that discomfort or pain in training, I would have pulled back. Yeah. But in an expedition, like what I have learned through experience is if your mind is calm and you just focus on recovery, your body will start to heal. 
yeah. if the yeah. purpose is strong enough. But you would just never put yourself through that in training. Okay. So one thing I would say is like our mind and body can repair far quicker than you ever imagine. But the will of the mind has to be the strongest thing, not yeah. the will of the yeah. body. So uh, if anyone here is thinking, oh, I want to do an expedition, what I would say, it's not a bad thing in training to prepare yourself for a lot of those uncertainties and not treat yourself like you have to be in cotton wool. Like yep. go out for a training run when you feel pretty shit. Mm-hmm. If your gut's feeling uncomfortable, if you've got your period and you've got bloating and you would think that you need to pull back, uh, you know, as a female, um, if you think that you might have a, a minor injury, which I say this really carefully because people are going to be like, oh, I can't do that. But if you want to do a big expedition, you've got to expect that your body is going to be breaking down. You're going to be tearing um, the muscles a little bit. And if you always are protective in training, you're not going to be able to cope in an expedition. That's incredible. And you've touched on exactly the next point I wanted to, to dive into before we wrap things up today is that, is that mindset. Like, I mean, as you've, as you've mentioned, some of these runs and expeditions that you've done are just insane, just incredible, not only for the physical, uh, for the, for the body, but for the mind. So when you are, you know, I can imagine things like the India one where there's just days after days, but when you're in that state where your body is really struggling, um, you know, you've still got a long way to go. You're reaching that point where you're kind of like in a bit of a hole and like, where do you go to mentally? What's like, what's that process like for those that are listening like today that have no idea what that, that feeling is like, um, or how to deal with it. You know, some people that for them, that may be doing the 10 K run for the first time and they get to the five K mark and they just can't imagine doing another five. How, how do you deal with that yourself and how do you keep willing yourself to go forward? I know you said it comes down to also knowing what the cause is and, and being in the right headspace, knowing that you're just going to do it no matter what. But yeah, how do you deal with that? I mean, the first thing to say is like on a physical level, I mean, that's, it's so much easier to point out like physical discomfort. Like, you know, you can tell when you've got an injury or you can tell when there's an overuse or there's a spasm or there's something not working right in, in the body. Um, but in the mind, this, the stress and the overwhelm and the anxiety is not too dissimilar to um, overwhelm and stress in the workplace. Or, yeah. uh, you know, my, my husband was, uh, he's, he's a veteran. He did four deployments to Afghanistan as an SAS troop commander. And recently, like he's even uncovered that like PTSD is also a similar emotion to overwork and stress. And for people who are in lockdown right now and are experiencing like significant uncertainty and a lack of stability, I'm sure that kind of overwhelm is a really similar thing to what I might experience when I'm running across India or and my body's not kind of co- cooperating. Yeah. And so what I would say is like when you're in that space and when you're at mental overwhelm and you're at the brink, you feel like you have very few options at your disposal. And the obvious option, which sometimes feels like the only thing, is that you've got to quit. And so through experience now, I have learned that I need to first try and mitigate myself getting into overwhelm to not get to that place of thinking. Uh, so when I see early signs of like the heart kind of palpitating, um, getting stressed, I fixate on the smallest things when I'm stressed. Like I, if I can't find my iPhone cord or currently right now, I can't find the letter K of this alphabet puzzle that my son um, <laughs> like plays with. And every night I'm like, where's the K? Where's the K? So I know that these are like signs and triggers that I know when I'm feeling a little bit anxious and overwhelmed. 
So I try and reduce all that. Um, but when you are there in the brink of it, there's a couple of strategies that I have. The first thing is um, if you have the opportunity to just actually physically stop, do it. Sometimes okay. that we think that in order to get to our goal means that we need to keep moving forward. But like sometimes you actually have to stop. So it sounds bizarre to say that if you're a runner and you're running in a race, but you know, if you need to stop just for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, I guarantee you, like, it's not going to destroy your race. Yeah. It actually could be something that can get you to the finishing line. Sometimes the visualization of what we think the race has to look like is a thing that actually will stop us getting there. So I've learned that like at the end of the day, small progress is still progress. It doesn't actually matter about the pace, particularly when you're doing really long feats of endurance, which for some people can be a 10K or a 5K or even a kilometer run. Mm. So um, stop being fixated on how it has to look. Uh, and then the next thing is sometimes I, when I'm in stopping, I actually like a brainstorm how it has to look. So I remember one day in India, uh, I was not feeling great. We'd had a couple of big days, but I was like, okay, cool. It's fine. I've got 30 Ks left for the day. That's not too bad. And one of my team members came up to me and they looked really anxious. And I was like, what's wrong? They're like, we've miscalculated the distance for the, for the rest of the week. You actually now need to add like another 20 kilometers to every single day for the, the rest of the week, which oh. meant I had 50 Ks left of that day to go now. Oh. And then I had like, I was basically going to have to do 70 Ks three days in a row. Um, and I was furious, like you've let me down. I've, uh, I was like, I was so mad. And then I was like, okay, calm your farm, Sam. And I did that thing. I stopped, I got into the camper van and I had a 30 minute sleep, which sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Cause I had 50 Ks left to do, but you can't operate under fire. No. Um, and so I had to kind of cool that down. I mind mapped how I was going to do it, which looks so simple, but like, I think sometimes you need to physically see how it looks. Yep. And then I just got out there and I put my earphones on and I tried to get to a slightly altered, happy state. Uh, and I just moved forward and, you know, we got through it in the dark. And then the sense of accomplishment of getting through something when the odds are stacked against you, you have to know how powerful that's going to be for the things in your future. Those are the defining moments. Like when time is good, like awesome like you don't really learn that much it's when times are shit and you get through it that's the things that you can really hold on to incredible that's the perfect way to end the episode sam <laughs> thanks so much thanks so much for for joining um, me today on the show i've absolutely loved it i'm sure the the audience will really get a lot of value out of today's show and um i'd love to have you back on again at some point um before we do wrap things up is there is there anything in mind um, coming up? Like what's the next big challenge for you? Uh, well, it's, it's very hard with borders to talk about, like to know if you can go overseas. I have been thinking about a couple of projects. Uh, I've got an interest in the Alpine Trail, mm -hmm. um, which is like, but do, and doing the whole thing. Um, which is obviously close to home and it would be pretty amazing to do that. So I've been kind of, that's been like the carrot I've been dangling to keep myself yep. training um, during lockdown. Uh, and then I've got a couple of projects uh, in the US that I am in the works for, but when we can be, I think I can get to the US, I can't get back. back um, yeah. so I will, and then I've, you know, for Eco Challenge, um, I've put forward a team for the race in Patagonia that's hopefully happening next year. So I think like 4,000 teams applied and they'll probably take 50. So, right. you know, I do like it when the odds are stacked against you. So fingers crossed there. 
Unreal. Well, again, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, guys, everybody who's tuned into today's episode, if you have enjoyed it, please do take a screenshot of this show and tag myself and tag Samantha um, and, and post it up on your Instagram story for me. Uh, I'll make sure to have all your links, um, Sam, in the show notes today. So again, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me.